I just simply couldn't accept that I would sit back and let these circumstances determine the rest of my life. Doing something wouldn't guarantee a positive outcome, but it would guarantee me a chance, and I wanted it so bad that I would do anything just to have the chance. I'm your host, Rom Cook, and this is Contenders Wanted. Welcome to the Contenders Wanted Podcast, the podcast for those striving to get better every day and unleash their potential. If you're new to the show or haven't done so yet, please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast player and leave us a quick review. This helps other contenders find the show and lets us know how we can improve. All right, and welcome to episode 17 of Contenders Wanted. Before we jump into our introduction of our guest today on the show, I just honestly wanted to take a moment and say, Thank you to all of you who have been listening to the podcast. I really, really enjoy doing this, but ultimately at the end of the day, if it's not providing value to all of you, kind of what's the point? So thank you to everyone who has been listening. We have had over 2,100 downloads in our first couple of months here. And for me, I feel really pretty good about that. As a podcaster, one of the pieces of data that we get is where our podcast is being listened from. And frankly, I am just blown away at some of the places. I mean, just in the last five episodes alone, we've had listeners in New Zealand, Montenegro, Canada, Russia, Mexico, India, Germany, Morocco, the United Kingdom, Denmark, France, and the United States, which to me is incredible. I would have never guessed that my podcast would be reaching such far places as India or Montenegro or Morocco. It's truly humbling, frankly. So thank you. And I'd like to actually give a little special shout out to one of our listeners, um, a listener in France who is from the city. Now, okay, before I try and say the city in French, I speak Spanish, but I don't speak French. So I hope I don't completely butcher this French name, but uh, I looked up a couple YouTube pronunciation videos and hopefully, (laughs) hopefully it's close enough. Um, This listener is from the city of Clichy de France. Now, I hope I said that right. And if I did, awesome. If not, well, we can just chalk it up to my American accent. But either way, point being, thank you so much for listening to almost every single episode. I don't know who you are, but thank you. Um, And I'd love to get an email from you. Please shoot me an email. Let me know what it is that you like about the show. What's bringing you back? Because I'd love to keep creating more of that content. Um, I know we've had many other loyal listeners, friends and family from other places all over the place who've been listening. So thank you to all of you as well. As always, I'm always open to suggestions and help. And just a little FYI, coming down the pipeline here in the next couple of months, I'm actually going to be creating the Contenders Wanted website where you can find the show notes and transcripts and everything else from all of our previous episodes and also all new ones. In addition, we're going to be giving some uh, free resources and different things out for the Contenders Wanted community. In addition, I'll be creating an email newsletter so you can get notified in your inbox of any new episodes as they come out and anything else as it pertains to the Contenders Wanted community. So if you're interested in that, uh, be on the lookout for that sign up as well. Or if you want to get on the list early, feel free to shoot me an email at rob at contenderswanted.com. So with that, let's jump into uh, our guest's introduction. Can you imagine being at the top of your game and then suddenly losing everything? To go from being one of the best to fighting for your very life? Well, our guest today is Robert Paler, and he has lived this reality. 
In one moment, Robert was the best was in the best day of his life, competing for the Collegiate Rugby National Championship. In the next moment, his life changed forever. Robert suffered a spinal cord injury in the first minute of the game and found himself face down on the turf, unable to move anything below his neck. His doctors told him he would never walk or move his hands for the rest of his life. But through an unbreakable vision and relentless determination, Robert is defying the odds. He has graduated from UC Berkeley, is winning the fight to walk again, and is sharing his method of how he overcame quadriplegia. Every person faces challenges. Roberts are just visible. The skills Robert uses to overcome paralysis can be used by all to optimally perform. His message is one that inspires others to access their full potential and conquer their challenges, no matter how daunting they may seem. Robert's story is incredible and really shows just how much you can accomplish when you refuse to give up. When you choose to control what you can control, primarily our attitudes, and no matter what is going on, keep moving forward. It's an incredible story that I think you all are going to love today and have a ton of great takeaways. I'm really excited to have him on the show, and so I hope that you really enjoyed as well. So with that, let's dive in. All right, Robert Paler, welcome to the show. Rob, thank you so much for having me. So excited for this. I am super excited. For listeners of the show, I have known Robert here for a couple of years now at this mm -hmm. point. I don't know how I didn't think to have him on initially at the start of this show, but I am so grateful that we've got him on today. Robert has an incredible story that has so many good lessons for all of us out there uh, that I think you're really, really going to enjoy this. So, Robert, why don't you take a moment here at the very beginning, maybe um, tell a little bit, tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what is it that you do now, and then we'll jump back, we'll step back in time and, and tell your story. Yes, absolutely. My name is Robert Taylor. I'm from Sacramento, California. Um, I'm a professional speaker, executive director of a nonprofit, aspiring author, and a quadriplegic. Um, I am by definition a quadriplegic. I use a wheelchair every single day. It was on May 6, 2017, which if my memory serves me correctly, I believe was 1360 days ago. Maybe give or take one day. Um, I don't have the chalk, the chalk marks on my wall quite <laughs> quite detailed out uh, for that count. Um, but I've been fighting ever since that day. Um, we're going to dive into that a lot here on my journey to going back to walking again, to gaining my independence movie again, doing things that doctors told me would never happen for the rest of my life. Um, yeah. It's been quite a journey, but it's been a journey to share. So I'm excited to do that today. Let's just jump right into it. So yeah. Walk us through the story. What happened? How did you become a quadriplegic? Yeah. So like I said, the day was May 6, 2017. Uh, I will forever remember that day better than any day in my life. It was the day of the Collegiate Rugby National Championship in America. I was playing for UC Berkeley. Now, now, Rob, I know you're a BYU guy and we've got, you know, we've got this rivalry um, in rugby. It's kind of this, you know, it's this very yeah, sure. niche sport, right, in, um, in America. Um, it's not very common. Um, you know, but at a place like BYU, absolutely. Yeah. At a place like Cal, um, it's really a big thing. Um, there's a very strong culture around it. Um, I think we're around 32 national championships over at Cal. Um, we're doing pretty well. And I came in Alabama of rugby here in the United States is what it really comes down to. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, it's like, I think the only team that has more championships is like the Harlem Globetrotters and you know, their games are like, great. So I think we're doing all right. Um, yeah, good. yeah, I'm starting as a sophomore, um, on this team. I'm doing okay. really well. All my plans, all my dreams in life, they're just happening for me. Uh, things are going really well. 
Because you had and, played uh, before that, right? You played it. Had you played at Jesuit before here in Sacramento? That's where I started. Yeah. So I didn't even know what this sport was. Um, you know, I was thinking like, oh, is that the game with the sticks in it or something like that? I mean, I just had no <laughs> clue. But I go over to Jesuit, and um, which is number one, number two in the nation every year. Very successful program here in Sacramento. From a high school, right? Yeah. Yes, for high school. Um, and uh, I was kind of, I was looking for another sport to play. And I liked hitting people. And a lot of my buddies played rugby. So I thought, this is a good match, you know? And it, it brought me to this day. And um, no, I remember like getting in the locker room, guys kind of tapping their feet. I got that feeling in my stomach where like it's nerves, but it's excitement too. Like you're ready to go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we trot out on the field. We won the coin toss. We wanted to kick the ball off. You know, we wanted to hit him first. And yep. uh, so we all line up. Referee blows his whistle. I'm sprint, sprinting down the field. It's national championship time. Let's go, Robert. Spill your guts. Now, very Leave early it all on, on the field, the right? Game, absolutely. Very early on in the game, I'm competing in a mall, um, which for those who don't know rugby, it's when the bigger guys we group together in a single unit and we push to advance the ball in a single unit. Defense's job is to come straight in and stop us from pushing forward. And I'm a big dude. Like, this is my moment. You know, big rod, six foot five, 240 pounds. Like, I move people that don't want to be moved. That is my purpose here on the field. <laughs> We're just five meters out. I'm like practically drooling, thinking, let's go, drive this thing in. But the opposing players, they start making these illegal moves, and ref's not calling it. So, player comes in from the side. Uh, side entry is illegal in rugby. Um, not something where you would just blow the whistle and stop the game. We play advantage, but I keep pushing on two more players coming from the side. Um, ref's not calling anything. That first player who came in, he binds me around my neck. He's pinning my chin to my chest. Now in rugby, this is a non-negotiable yellow card or red card. Referee blows his whistle. Yeah. It could either be a 10 minute suspension or a complete ejection from the game. Um, and then a two-week suspension from their minimum. Referee's not calling it. He also grabs me around my leg. Another penalty. What are we on? Five penalties here now. Another player comes in. I'm fighting this thing, right? You know, I, got, I keep my shoulders down. I keep pushing. Another player comes in. He chops me down by my leg, so I start falling down. And I'm in this position. He still has my chin pinned to my chest. And I just remember closing my eyes. I grip my teeth, and then boom, snap. I could not move anything. I could not feel anything. I was lying there with my face in the dirt, screaming as loud as I could. And I knew my life had forever changed at that moment. I'm thinking, am I ever going to go back to school? Am I ever going to play rugby again? Am I ever going to feed myself again? Walk again? I don't know if you've ever heard the story of um, Eric Legrand, yeah, Rutgers football player. Had a spinal cord injury, and um, I remember like that footage watching him. And uh, you know, it was a big kickoff football guy hits a guy, body goes stiff. Get the updates years later. Um, it was a big deal for him to be able to breathe on his own again, or be able to just barely operate a power wheelchair. I'm thinking, how in the world can this be me? You know, here I am playing D1 rugby. Everything's going my way. I'm working on getting into the high school of business over at Berkeley. I'm working really hard in my academics. I have all these plans, these dreams in life. And now it just seems it's completely stripped from me. My whole life might be stripped from me. I might sit in a room staring at a window as my mom spoon feeds me for the rest of my life until she dies. And then some caretaker comes in. Here I am 20 years old, my whole life ahead of me. Um, and it doesn't look like a very good life, not a life worth living. 
So could you feel in the moment immediately that you had no, you know, feeling or ability to move any other parts of your body right when it happened? Nothing. Immediately. Nothing. I had broken plenty of bones before playing football and rugby. Um, mm-hmm. So I knew what it felt like. And this one was in my neck. And it was immediate. I was fully conscious, fully aware of everything that was going on. And uh, That's got to you know, be scary. A nightmare. I mean, an absolute nightmare. You know, I was, my reality was most people's nightmare. Even still to this day, I will say that my reality is a lot of people's nightmare. Um, but, uh, I mean, my thoughts just ran wild. The terror that I could just feel that my bones, um, that anxiety that rushes over when they're kind of instinctually, I just like trying to pop up, you know, cause that's what you do. Yeah. That's in. what you do as an athlete. Yeah. Just keep going. Nothing was moving. You know, I try to wiggle my toes, nothing. Try to shrug my shoulders, nothing, nothing, nothing. Trainers and doctors sprint over me. Keep in mind, this is how crazy rugby can be. And this wasn't supposed to happen. The referee didn't deal with it very well. They were still playing around my completely motionless body. I looked like a corpse on that field. And they continued to play. But the doctors, they're kind of doing this assessment. Hey, Robert, can you feel this? No. Robert, can you move anything? You know, can you wiggle your fingers? Can you squeeze my hand? Um, you know, what am I touching right now? I have no clue. It's like they're touching somebody else's body. There is just oh my no connection. They roll my body over because I was on my stomach. I couldn't even feel them rolling my body over. It was that disconnected. Um, Holy cow. Yeah. Seeing my parents was a very difficult moment. Um, you know, they were there at that game. They witnessed it all. And I always tried to be so strong for them. I always tried to make them proud. And in this moment, I was weak. I was broken. I couldn't be strong for them. And through my tears, all I could say was, I love you more than anything in the world. Um, my world was collapsing in on me. I go over to the hospital, and we start taking some medical imaging, trying to figure out the severity of this thing. Cause yeah, what happened? Sometimes, sometimes this kind of stuff happens, and you know, it's kind of just a stinger. It's just spinal shock, and um, you, know, you wake out, out of it in the days or weeks to come. But I kind of have that hope you know, within me really praying. Oh, of course you'd want to cling to that. Wouldn't you? Why not? Absolutely. Any shred of hope you can have in such a hopeless situation. Doctor comes back. Um, very matter of fact, very bleak. He says, Robert, people go out and they play these sports like rugby and these injuries happen. And you need to start dealing with the reality of your situation right now. That reality is you will never walk again. You will never move your hands. We're going to do our best so you can do something like pick up a piece of pizza and bring it to your face. If you can do that, then you beat the odds. If you can do that, then you made it. This is what you need to start focusing on now is something as simple as that. Get your expectations set wow. right now. And he didn't stop there. He said, we also need to go into emergency surgery. Um, it's a decision for you to make. I highly recommend it because in these injuries, um, the swelling is what really deteriorates at your spinal cord. Very compact space, doesn't have a lot of room for swelling or anything yep. like that. Your nerves start to disintegrate under that trauma. Um, and in order to avoid further damage, we need to go into the surgery to, spew, to fuse the vertebrae that were fractured and replace this ruptured disc that I had with an artificial one. Um, but there's a catch, right? And there's all, there always is, is that it's a potentially mm-hmm. life-threatening surgery. There's a lot of important real estate at the front of the neck where they were making the yeah. decision, performing this operation. Um, things could get bad really quick if something goes wrong. So here I am, right? <laughs> Sitting on this bed. I woke up on May 6, 2017, D1 athlete, everything going my way. Now, just a matter of hours later, 
I am being told that I will never walk or move my hands for the rest of my life. And that's if I survive. I just couldn't accept that. I just absolutely couldn't accept that. But I needed help. I needed hope. I called my religious advisor and I asked him for prayers. I asked him for advice. I'm Catholic. My faith is very important to me. And I actually wanted to have a priest come over to give me the sacrament of anointing the sick. So that, that way, if I died, I have a better chance of going to heaven. That's how serious this was. And he said, yes, absolutely, Robert, I'll get a priest up there right away before this surgery, because I only had an hour. But um, I want to leave you with one thing. Best piece of advice I ever received. He said, Robert, what happened to you is absolutely terrible. And throughout this journey, there's a lot of things that you just can't control. But the one thing you have complete control over is your mindset, your ambition, your willingness to wake up every single day and fight is up to you. No circumstance can take that away from you. As long as you have a clean head on your shoulders, blood in your veins, breath in your lungs, you can control your mindset. You can choose to keep moving forward. Now, in that moment, I didn't have a lot. I didn't have the odds. That was going to be my next question. Like, what was that like that night when, you know, mom and dad are asleep or, you know, you're sitting there alone in, in the hospital room? Like, what kind of demons came to you that night? You know, what kind of feelings did you have that you had to fight with? It was a lot because um, after I had the surgery, which was very successful, by the way, the doctor did an incredible oh, good. job. I got pneumonia um, oh, immediately, no. and, but I couldn't cough, right? That's so I made it especially dangerous. So I was spiking fevers up to 105 degrees. You know, we're starting to reach that brain damage range there. Yep. Any higher than that, you know, just getting ice buckets poured over me all night. Um you know, and still trying to deal with this new reality that I can't move my body, which caused a lot of anxiety. Um, but those words control your mindset and that power that I then had just realizing that I could make these decisions, that a circumstance didn't have to determine my outcome. That did so much to me. It gave me so much hope. It gave me something that I could focus on, something that I could control in such an uncontrollable situation. Um, and all those moments, you know, when I had to do breathing treatments every three hours, someone would come in and slam down on my lungs. Sometimes mm. take you an hour. Sometimes it would take three hours. Um, and we'd just move right into the next one. And it didn't matter whether it was three in the afternoon or three in the morning. It was Oof. happening on a schedule. Um, death was sitting with me in that room waiting for me to quit. I mean, I could just feel it, you know, that, that imminent, imminent doom, um, yeah. but I continued to push forward. I continued to fight because I just simply couldn't accept that I would sit back and let these circumstances determine the rest of my life. Um, I had to do something. I knew I wanted to walk. Um, I had this hunger, this appetite to continue to persevere, to have a better life. Um, and the only guarantee that that wasn't going to happen is if I didn't do anything about it. Doing something wouldn't guarantee a positive outcome, but it would guarantee me a chance. And I wanted it so bad that I would do anything just to have the chance. It kept me pushing forward. I love that. I think that's a great principle for life in general, right? I mean, I think a lot, a lot of times we can get scared into inaction when frankly, mm-hmm. action is the only way to create the outcome that we're hoping for, you know? Mm-hmm. So you just, you have to move forward. You have to keep moving, right? That, Absolutely. That's a, that's an incredible lesson. So this yeah, all then begs the question. Oh, sorry, please go for it. I was just going to say, I, I think a lot of people don't want to go for something in life when they really have a goal that they want to challenge that they want to overcome. They don't want to give themselves false hope. 
You know, they don't mm-hmm. want to put in all this work, get their expectations up um, against something that is incredible odds just to one day have it crushed. But I also think that there's a, a danger and possibly more danger to giving yourself false hopelessness. Like with that, doc, Ooh, you know, I like a that. doctor, he was, he was trying to get me to avoid building up false hope. Um, but what he really could have done is give me false hopelessness. Let's say I listened to him. Let's say I looked at all the statistics <clears throat> saying that, you know, my chance of moving at that moment were probably about 3% or less. I'm not talking about walking. I'm talking about moving something. I'm moving, just moving a hand or anything was 3%. Yeah. Piece of pizza to my face, 3% or less. <laughs> Talk about false hopelessness. If I would have really? looked into those statistics, if the prognosis that, that, that my daughter, my doctor gave me, I'd be in a very different situation today. So that's something that I, you know, a piece of advice that I give to that's everyone. That's a great point. Um, false hopelessness. Mm-hmm. It's just the opposite side of that coin that people don't really think about. If you're, if you're refusing to accept hope, hope that whatever goal or dream you have could be a reality, then you are accepting hopelessness. Kind yeah. of interesting. That's, mm-hmm. that's very cool. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of completely reframes the way that you would look at making decisions in your life, right? Mm-hmm. If you realize that by, because inevitably making one decision forces you to make another, right? If you choose not to go for it, then you are choosing by extension to accept the other, the opposite side, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but most of the time we don't think about that. It's just, oh, am I choosing this? That's all we think about, right? Am I choosing to go for this goal? Well, by choosing to go for this one goal, then you're not choosing to go for other goals or you are choosing, if you're saying you're not going to go for this one, you are thereby choosing the other, the other option. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's an interesting way to look at that. I had never thought about that, but that's really cool. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's hard to live with those what ifs in life. That was something oh, yeah. that really fueled me in the beginning thinking about like, you know, if I had an opportunity to do one of these breathing treatments and I was like 2am and I was just tired. I know I slept two, you know, two hours pretty much every night for a week. Um, and thinking like, you know, what if I don't do this breathing treatment? Could that kill me? You know, what if in these, you know, years that have followed, I didn't decide to put in all this rehab, all this work, you know, would yeah. I be walking if I did decide to do that? Um, you know, I didn't want to live with that regret. That fear of regret is something that's really pushed me. Yeah. So, Very powerful. All right. So then yeah. this makes me, uh, begs the question then, what happened in the rehabilitation and recovery process? What was that like? Mm-hmm. How did you go about doing it? Where did you go? Um, what additional barriers did you hit? Because I'm sure you did. Yeah, absolutely. Tons of barriers. Um, I got through that, that medical phase with the pneumonia. I beat it. Um, you know, there was a period where I couldn't swallow anything. So I lost 60 pounds in a month. Um, but I, you know, I made it after about a month. And I wanted to find the best rehabilitation facility in the United States of America. Um, through my research, that was a place called Craig Hospital in Denver, Colorado. Kind of easy top two rehabilitation facility for these injuries in the United States. So I okay. went my way out there. And their mindset was just so different. I talked to my doctors and I thought it was very fair. And it was a good boundary between false hope and false hopelessness. Is they said, Robert, we don't know what's going to happen with you. We have absolutely no clue. You could walk out of these doors one day. You could very well not. But the one thing we do know, the one guarantee we're going to give you is we're going to give you everything that modern science and medicine has to optimize this recovery. If you want to put in the work, we will allow you to do that. We will give you everything you can so that if you do have a chance to get out of here, if your injury is at a level to where you can develop to that stage, 
you're going to reach it with us. Um, that gave me some hope. It was a really good expectation. Yeah, sure. something that's really important for anyone who's in a leadership position, um, you know, or if they are a medical professional giving these, these kinds of diagnosis, diagnosis, I don't even know how you'd say that word. Yeah, um, diagnosis. <laughs> Whatever. I'm not, I'm not a doctor. So um, anyways, <laughs> we're not going to um, judge you. Don't worry. Yeah. That's, I think that's a, that's a good way to approach it, you know, because yeah. we don't know what's going to happen um, with somebody else's life. Um, but to support them, to believe in them, um, to let, to let them know that you're going to give all you have to help them that can get people to do some pretty amazing things. Um, so I went for it. It was eight to nine hours a day of really intense rehabilitation. And in the beginning I couldn't move anything, but as I continued to work at this, I could twitch a finger, twitch a toe and build on those tiny little twitches to where I could then extend my leg to where I could then pick up a glass and bring it to my face, you know, hold a fork and feed myself, start moving myself around in a manual wheelchair where at first I can only do like five pushes. And I was done for the day until I was eventually, you know, completely independent in that method, eventually getting on my own two feet and walking out of the hospital doors in this day to day grind. Now I was in that hospital for about a year. Um, and I wasn't at the point where I wanted to be when I left that hospital, I still had to be helped up to get into the standing position and had a pretty sturdy walker to use, but I was doing the impossible. I was redefining what was possible with these kinds of injuries, um, proving these doctors wrong from day one. Um, I continue to work in my rehab to this day. It's about three hours of work that I put in at my rehabilitation every single day. Um, It's walking, it's standing up, it's getting on an e-stim bike, it's stretching. Um, you know, so much that I do, but the progress continues to show itself and I continue to put in the work as long as I get that return. That's incredible. So it was over the course of a year. Then you went from doctor says you're never going to be able to walk ever again. And you may, if you're lucky, 3% chance feed yourself to Mm -hmm. one year later, you walked out of that hospital with, well, of course, with the aid of a crutch and, you know, of a, of a walker and, you know, someone helping you stand up, but you moved your own legs and got yourself out of that hospital. Is that right? Yeah, 100% correct. Yeah, very proud of it. And I ate that wow. pizza. <laughs> I'm sure you enjoyed it. That's for sure. Yeah. Wow. So I just know from research and you know pre- previous conversations, though, that um, in the first couple of months, though, you didn't see a lot of progress. Um, mm. In fact, it was very little, if any. So walk me through what was going through your mind during that time. Mm -hmm. Something that really fueled me during that moment or those couple of months was my vision. I think a Uh vision is a very important tool, um, a plan, a guide for people to have in their lives. And those beginning moments, I just closed my eyes when I couldn't sleep at night. And I'd think of what it was like to be able to walk and run and be independent, you know, be able to go to school and see my friends have all these things that at one time, let's be honest, I just took it for granted. Um, yeah. I didn't, I didn't appreciate my ability to breathe. I didn't really appreciate that much. My ability yeah. to go and play rugby. I'd say thank you, you know, to, to God and my prayers and whatnot. I really tried to be a grateful person, but there's no way. That's a whole could, uh, level. Once those things that were just so natural are just gone. Right. I mean that you just, you can't compare the, the level of gratitude. It's impossible. Yeah. And then to lose it, that hunger, that appetite 
to regain it was so strong. And I would just think about these moments literally in my dreams. And still to this day, I dream as an able-bodied person. So I'll be walking around, running around, doing like footwork drills and stuff like that. I'm so excited I can walk. Robert, um, I have no I, doubt in my mind, one day, whether it's in this life or the life to come, you will be doing that again, my friend. I have no doubt. <laughs> That's the plan. Turn those dreams into reality. Um, but that was essentially the, you know, turning those dreams into reality was the thing that continued to fuel me when nothing was happening. I would do this exercise multiple times every single day where I would start up at the top of my nervous system and, and work on contracting muscles all the way down to my toes. And I would start literally with my face, like squinting my face, stuff like that. Something where I did have a connection. Um, early on, I was able to shrug my shoulders like this. This is something that I could do. But I moved down to my hands, let's say, trying to close it up into a fist. Um, it's something I couldn't do. But for 20 reps, I would sit there and, you know, I'm, I'm gripping my teeth. I'm closing my eyes. I'm thinking of what it looks like to close my hand. Um, and I would keep doing it, but no feedback. And I'd continue to move down all the way down to my toes, doing about 20 reps, um, three sets for each muscle group. I do that multiple times a day, envisioning what it was like to be able to do that. That fueled me. That pushed me. That hunger and that appetite I had to achieve that, that's something I think everybody ought to have. You know, think of what it's like to be in the career position you want to be at. Think of what it's like to be in the relationship position you want to be at. You know, all these goals in life, it's very important to keep that end in mind. Um, it was a principle that I learned back in the law school of business with one of my professors, my favorite professor, Dan Mulhern. He talked, to, he talked about it in terms of thinking from right to left. We think of a timeline, we start on left and we move right. Um, but he encouraged us to kind of re-engineer that. To think of that end goal, think of that vision that we want in our lives, and think about how to break it down from there. That helped me to keep pushing on when I wasn't seeing any progress because I wasn't so focused on where I was. I was focused on where I wanted to be and how to get there. I think that's a great, a fantastic point, right? In the good book, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish, right? And... Uh, I think that that this right here is a perfect example of that, right? You have to have vision for where you want to go and what you want to do. In my day job, I'm a financial planner, right? And you can't do any planning until you know where you're at and where you're trying to go to. And I think our lives are exactly the same way, right? It, it doesn't matter what we're looking at. So whether you're a quadriplegic who wants to be able to move his hands, you know, or you are uh, your dad, who wants to get rid of the dad bod, you know, or you're a, you're yeah. a mom who wants to, you know, create uh, a, a better home environment. Heck, you want to get rid of the mom bod. I don't know, whatever, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. You want to create a career. You want to start a business, whatever. You have to have vision for what you want to accomplish. And the more clearly you can see that, the more feeling that you give it, whether that's literal feeling, whether that's, you know, taste, touch, smell, whatever, those things then create your reality. The more, the more you see it, the more you go after it, you start to see it become a part of your life. Absolutely. And I think it helps us answer the why questions that we have in life. Whenever we're going for something big, something that's uncomfortable, that question why keeps coming up. Why mm -hmm. go work out? Why wake up early? You know, why stay in the office a little bit longer? Why not eat this donut right now? You know, whatever it is that's, that's holding us <laughs> yes, back. Yes, exactly. Um, we have to have really strong answers because those why questions, 
are going to appear every single day, multiple times a day. I think that vision is a big answer to that why question. Why am I going to wake up early? Because I want to get to this goal. Why am I going to put this donut down? Because I want to look in the mirror and see a healthier body. Um, whatever it is, answering that why question, very important to accomplishing goals and overcoming challenges. 100% agree. I think that's mm-hmm. a wonderful point. All right. So I know that we've already kind of talked about a couple of these little tools that you've used, whether that was this idea of vision um, or latching onto this idea that you are effectively the one in charge of your mentality. But I would love to know, were there any other tools that you found that were valuable um, that kind of helped you continue to push forward in your recovery? Yeah, I think the single greatest tool that has helped me is perspective. And perspective is this tricky thing because it goes both ways. And there's a lot of times when I can look back on these moments in my life when I was playing rugby, you know, I was able to move. And, you know, when I'm getting up in the morning, it takes me about 45 minutes to get myself fully ready in the morning. It used to take five. I can look back at those moments where it used to take me five minutes when I had all these things compared to what I'm going through right now and think there's no way around it. My life stinks. My life is absolutely <laughs> terrible when I compare it to that, right? Yep. Or I can look at these other moments in my life when there was no way I could get myself out of bed. It wouldn't just take 45 minutes. It would never happen. I can look back at these moments when I was laying in that hospital, unable to breathe or move anything. I would have given anything to have what I have now. Honestly, anything other than my family and friends, my money, whatever it is, take it. I don't want it. I just want to be able to move. When I look at that and compare it to what I'm going through right now, there's no way around it. My life is awesome. My life is incredible. I think perspective is the key to happiness, to be frank. I would be completely agree. Mm -hmm. When we can control that, when we can access that tool, it helps shift our mindset. Um, You know, there's this saying that I use whenever I'm just kind of feeling sorry for myself. Um, Whenever I'm kind of looking at my challenges, thinking that they're, you know, they're so big. I feel like complaining. I feel like being negative. That saying is compared to what? Just be like, oh man, I'm so tired. But compared to what? You know, I think of the people who are mm, working like three that. jobs and stuff like that. You know, the people who are yeah. just really grinding away. Um, I think like, oh man, I'm going through a lot right now. But compared to what? I think of people who have stage four terminal cancer. I think of veterans who came back from war with limbs blown off. People who are losing loved ones. People are going through these really terrible situations. I look at what they're going through and I listen like on videos and stuff. I love looking up YouTube videos, like people who are really overcoming intense adversity. And I'm just like, remind me not to complain about anything ever again. (laughs) Honestly, when you look at what some people overcome um, and you have that empathy for them, really, you know, feel for them what they're going through. It's not to dismiss our challenges. I think that's absolutely unhealthy. If we just think, oh, I need to stop complaining. You know, people go through a lot harder. What I go through is nothing. That's not the point because that's not that's unhealthy to just simply dismiss yeah. our challenges. What it does is it puts it into perspective. It brings it down to size. It helps us yeah. realize that what we go through is overcomable. And there is so much for us to be appreciative of in our lives because the reality is there are millions of people in this world who would rather be in our situation than theirs. That's perspective. And that helps me greatly throughout my rehabilitation. It still helps me to this day when I'm struggling to keep pushing forward, when I'm feeling sorry for myself and I want to just stop. 
I keep moving forward because yeah. I realize there are so many people who would love to be in my situation and it would be a disservice for me to not take advantage of the things that I have. I think that's a fantastic point. We mm-hmm. all have our own struggles, right? It doesn't matter who you are. Yours happen to be more outward, right? It's it's far mm-hmm. easier to see that Robert Paylor has, he has his set of challenges because you're in a wheelchair when we meet you, right? right? That's that's an quote unquote advantage of your situation. Others, yeah. like you pointed out, right? If you lose the love of your life or you work for years and then lose a business or you lose a child or mm-hmm. you suffer from an addiction or whatever it might be, some of those things, there are very few, if any people that might see them. And mm-hmm. it's the silent chambers of the heart and the soul where those battles are fought. You know, and to your point, it's all about perspective. Yeah. Everyone's got their thing and learning to have that empathy for each other and perspective on your own challenges, not to dismiss them, like you said, but that just the perspective I'm sure is empowering. It absolutely is. I think it ties so much into gratitude too. Um, Mm, This was the motto of the Cal rugby or not the mindset of the Cal rugby team was to be grateful for everything entitled to nothing. Um, we mm, would try to really like that. gratitude when it came to like, they would do our laundry, you know, after training um, for all of our training kit over at UC Berkeley. And, you know, I think, you know, a lot of people would just kind of throw that in the loop and it comes in, you know, all nicely done and you go into your cubby and bring it on, like, you know, and just kind of dismiss it. It just happens. But to really, mm-hmm. you know, step, step back and think, yeah, I'm really grateful for the people who did that. I'm really grateful um, for the people who have supported our team. I'm grateful for my teammates. I'm grateful to just be here at yeah. UC Berkeley. Grateful to be playing rugby. Um, grateful for all those things. That's a really good mindset to be in. Um, and appreciate those small things too. You know, even like, I can't even tell you how happy it was when I could wiggle my toe for the first time. <laughs> was, I'm sure was, you were elated. You're, oh shoot, you're, you're told you'd never be able to. It was unbelievable. I think it was it was around six to eight weeks that I was doing that exercise, right? Trying to get things to my move. And I'm just staring at these things, right? Trying to get them to move. And I was just Move those. Move. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Every single day, multiple times a day. It was Father's Day, actually, of that year that I looked down at my toes and I just got a flicker. Just a little something. Now, to most people, that'd be like, you know, whoopty freaking do. I wiggle my toes all the time. For me, it was such an important thing. That perspective yeah. really shaped that to where this is one of the happiest moments of my life. I mean, here I am laying back in a hospital bed. I got a grin ear to ear, like calling everybody and their mother here. Hey, check room. this out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, watch me wiggle these toes. And I got cleat feet and all of that. I mean, it was not a beautiful not pretty, huh? it was Yeah, but it was such a cool, cool moment. Um, that yeah. gratitude, that really plays into that perspective. Um, to think about, you know, what can we be grateful for? Um, to focus on that, focus on those positive. It, it helps us move forward. It helps us cultivate a more positive mindset. Completely agree. And I think, honestly, gratitude is a habit that for a lot of us, we have to kind of purposely cultivate. I consider myself very fortunate and very blessed. And I'm a, a man of faith. And so when I hit my knees at night, you know, I try and also express gratitude as well, like you had mentioned earlier. But Recently, as in in the last year or so, I've started a practice where I actually write down every morning five things that I'm grateful for. And I have to say, it has been a wonderful practice. And it has helped me be so much more grateful for other things because I don't allow myself to 
you know, repeat from day to day the exact same things, right? Or to write three different versions of basically the same thing in my five, I have to actually have five different things. And by doing that, it forces me to actually look at my life and Mm -hmm. really be grateful. And I think that's been a great way for me to build the habit of gratitude. Not that I was a very ungrateful person before, but it's the perspective, once again, how much more gratitude I have because I have started to do that and the impact it's having on my life. Uh, I think that's your point is spot on. We've got to learn to be grateful and just for those little things. And it's so powerful to have that. You know, Rob, I do the same exact thing. A gratitude journal. I do do actually. Yeah. I like the idea of doing it in the morning though. Um, It was in that same class I talked about, um, you know, thinking right to left in terms of vision that we studied that idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We studied that idea of a gratitude journal. Um, It was Kim Cameron, Cameron, a professor. I don't remember what university, but she set it up where she split her class into three groups. Um, on one hand, they would keep kind of like a frustration journal. Um, mm-hmm. At the end of the day, they'd reflect on things that frustrated them, those negative things that were going on in their life that they weren't grateful for. Second group, they did a frustration journal and a gratitude journal. Um, and the third group, they did the gratitude journal. They did three things at the end of every single day that they would write down at the end of the day that they were grateful for. It could be something as big as, oh, I got an A on this really big test that I was studying for, or it was just a sunny day and I was grateful for that. Same thing. They couldn't repeat it. But the results came in afterwards, um, after the study, the people who had the frustration journals had lower grades. They reported um, higher symptoms of depression, anxiety, things like that their immune system even functioned worse. They had lower levels of antibodies in their immune system. Yes, it had like a metabolic effect on their body, this frustration journal. And the complete opposite was found on the people who kept the gratitude journal. These things tie into our mental diet. There needs to be habits, intentional actions we take every single day to feed our minds. You know, just as with the physical diet, right? It's nasty in, nasty out. Or if we eat well, we perform well. I think the same thing goes for our minds. So things like that, a gratitude journal, things like calling up family members, you know, people that just make you feel good about yourself, um, going yeah. out and seeking out inspiring stories, those kinds of things, those habits like you talked about, they feed our mental diet. They help us be more positive people. You know, that makes total sense in my mind, uh, in part because for those that know me, you know that in school, I originally thought I wanted to be a dentist. And the reason for saying that is because I took chemistry uh, as part of the dental school prerequisites. And everything that goes on in our head is a chemical reaction. There's chemistry taking place as, for every thought, for every movement in our bodies. Like to, to use your nerves, it re, it's a chemical reaction effectively, right? It's electrical mm-hmm. signals going up and down and electrical signals is, is caused by chemical movements. But the point is, if you're forcing your brain to have positive thoughts, positive, um, grateful things coming in your mind, that's a completely different chemical state that you're introducing to your body than the frustration journal, right? Mm -hmm. And therefore, as you continue to dump the positive chemicals into your bloodstream that then I'm sure travels throughout the rest of your body, I'm sure long-term that has a positive impact. So that's really interesting. I've never had either of those thoughts, but I could totally see why that would be the case to have a gratitude journal and it affecting even your metabolic state. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Not something that I would expect, but something that's true. So pretty exciting. Very cool. Put some importance to those kind of practices. All right, Robert. Well, I am, I have been really loving this and frankly, I wish we could double this interview and make it a two part series, but we just, we don't have time for that. 
Um, but let's end with a couple of, of questions that uh, we had talked about that I think would be really, really good. In the beginning, when you were telling us this story, you made reference to the fact that the other team had committed penalties and a player was doing something illegal um, mm-hmm. that ultimately led to the snapping of your neck. So, so it wasn't an accident um, that effectively caused your neck to snap. Um, so has, has that other player ever contacted you and have you forgiven them, whether that's the ref or the other team or that individual player? And what was that process like? It was quite a process. Um, so like you said, what happened to me wasn't an accident. It wasn't a fluke. There was someone who went out there and broke the laws of our game, very important laws of our game. And because he did that, I broke my neck. Because of what he did, I'm in the situation I am in today um, and have been fighting for my quality of life ever since. I've been fighting for my ability to survive in those beginning moments. And you can bet when I was looking at pictures and videos of someone wrenching me down illegally by my neck and causing all of this hurt, I wanted to be angry. I wanted to hate that person. It was my instinct as kind of this contact sports guy. When someone punches you, you punch them back. When someone hits you, you hit them back. That was my instinct. And here we brought it to this incredible scale of what he did to me. And to answer your question, this guy's never reached out to me. This guy has never said he's sorry to me. But I'll tell you this. I forgive him whether he's sorry or not. I realize that the more hate I gave that person, the more I focused on what he did to me, the more power I gave to him and the less power I could give to myself. Just think if over the last almost four years now, I continue to hold on to that hate about what he did to me, continue to think about that, I'd be looking behind me. I wouldn't be looking in front of all the things that I do have in my life. I'd be a very angry, bitter, sad person. Not forgiving him, that wouldn't have done, you know, anything to get back, you know, help my situation. That wouldn't have done anything to, you know, get revenge. What would that have done? I broke my neck. It just happened. And the best, you know, I just have to deal with it. And the best way for me to deal with that was to move on from those situations, to access some grace, some mercy for this person. It was a very, very difficult thing for me to do. And in the beginning, when I said, I forgive him, I didn't really feel it in my heart. I still had that anger and that hatred, but I chose to control my mindset. I chose to continue to say that even if truly I didn't feel it and I had that anger. But over time, as I continued to say that, that anger went down. I continued to detach from it to where I get to the point where I am today where I don't even give this guy a thought. And I wish him well. I wish him well in everything he does in life. If one day he does decide to be in contact with me and apologize, I would immediately say that I forgive him. Um, that wasn't an easy thing to do, but I think it's something that everybody ought to do. Forgive those people who have done us wrong. Let go of those situations that we can't control, that we're angry and upset about, because all we're hurting is ourselves if we don't forgive them. Um, when we do that, we give the power back to ourselves when we make that choice of forgiveness. And I know that that's true from my own experience as well. Uh, mm-hmm. I've had instances in the past where people have wronged me and hurt me. Um, one in particular that I often reference that the person didn't even really realize the extent of the hurt they had done to me. And so it was purely just poisoning me. Um, but I can add a second witness brother, that when you forgive another and you really do, cause it's not, it's not easy sometimes. Right. But when you really do, it is like a weight has lifted. It is 
relieving. It's freedom. Um, mm-hmm. It's peace, you know, and it's, it's a beautiful thing for sure. So thank you for sharing that. I'm, I'm glad to hear Absolutely. that. Yeah. Well, Robert, you have an incredible story and uh, you have some incredible opportunities in front of you. What does the future hold for uh, Robert Paler? Yes. So things are so exciting. Um, you know, through this story, a lot of people have heard of what I've gone through, been really inspired by it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, me taking on this challenge has helped others to overcome their challenges. And uh, I was doing a couple of internships with Intel after my injury, something I was really excited about, something that I was actually supposed to do before my injury, thought it was going to be taken away from me, um, you know, through my rehabilitation and through the support of such a great company. It's filled with just amazing people. I was able to do that. Um, and they were having some operational issues. It was no secret to everybody. Um, and I was in operations. So they asked for one meeting, you know, hey, Robert, will you come in here and share your story? Share some of these principles that have helped you to overcome quadriplegia that we can use to overcome our business challenges or even personal life challenges um, that people yeah. can apply to their lives. Um, so I got together with my head coach of Cal Rugby, Jack Clark, a very successful speaker himself who has cared so deeply um, about my story and has supported me so much. He's continued to be my coach as have the other coaches with the Cal Rugby program um, in just an amazing way. And, you know, we sat down um, a lot and we crafted this message, these principles that I could then go out and share with others to overcome their challenges. So I give this presentation and it was just amazing. People were laughing, crying, a standing ovation at the end. Here I am thinking, this is a real purpose in my life. And others tell me, you know, Robert, this is something that you can do for a career. This is something that you can make a living off of going out and sharing the story and principles to help others overcome their challenges. Because like you said, people look at me and they see a challenged person. The nature of my adversity is very visual, but most people don't have that kind of um, visual evidence of what they're going through. But regardless of the nature of the challenge, I think the approach to overcoming that adversity is universal. And the tools that I used to overcome can be used by all to optimally perform. Being able to inspire someone, being able to touch someone's heart and help them overcome their challenges in my life has made it to where if I could go back on May 6, 2017 and change what happened to me, I wouldn't. I couldn't. Reading those messages that I've read. Wow. People saying, Robert, you've touched my heart. You've touched my whole, my soul. You've changed my life. I am alive because of you today and what you've gone through. How could I wish that away? It is my yeah. greatest purpose in life that I have embraced this challenge, taken it head on, and made this commitment to others that in everything I will do, it will be to the benefit of others. It's given me such a purpose, something that I could never wish away. So this inspirational speaking career, it's meant so much to me. I plan on dedicating my life to overcoming this challenge and sharing the tools that I've learned so that others can overcome the challenges that they felt in their lives. Well, I am excited to see where this journey takes you because clearly you're passionate about it. Clearly you are already making a difference in people's lives and it'll only keep going up from here. Robert. Um, With that said, um, we'd like to end with one question then. And then I'll give you an opportunity to tell people how they can get a hold of you. So if they want to have you come and speak, they, they can do that. But we yeah. always end with one last question. And that is this, Robert, what does it mean to you to be a contender? That's a good question. Um, I think for me, it's being a person that redefine, redefines what's possible. Um, 
Mm. You know, people tell us in life there's a lot of things that we can't do, uh, a lot of things that we shouldn't go for uh, because we can't get that outcome in our lives. It's impossible. Um, and I almost kind of like that word because it, it makes me want to go make it possible. It makes me want to <laughs> get after to kind of prove people wrong. You know, who are you to tell me? Watch me kind of mentality, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think the contender is the kind of person that hears that sort, that sort of news, um, that sort of, that's that, that negativity in their lives um, and takes it on, you know, has a positive mindset about it, wakes up and works hard every single day to make the best version of themselves a reality um, and eventually redefines what's possible. Um, that's what I think a contender is. I love that. That's a fantastic response. Every day contending, every day fighting that negative, the, the negative side of life. I love it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. All right, Robert. Well, please tell listeners how they can learn more about you um, and, uh, and get, get a hold of you. Yeah. So um, number one, I would love for people to follow along with my journey. You know, I talk about the mental diet, stuff like that. Something that's helped me so much is witnessing others attacking their challenges. Every single day when I do my workout, I post an Instagram story of me getting after it. I got the day count on there and everything. So follow me on Instagram, rob.paylor was my profile. Um, it means a lot for me to share that story. I hope that it's inspirational for other people because like I said, providing that inspiration um, has been my purpose in life and something that gets me up out of bed in the morning. And then secondly, um, for everything related to speaking, um, my website is www.robertpaylor.com. Um, honestly, there's not a lot of Robert Taylors in this world, so it's pretty easy to find me <laughs> on, a, on any platform um, that people are using. Um, but like I said, it means so much to me to interact with people who have been inspired by my story. Um, it's the fuel for what I do. Um, it's the fuel for everything that I do in life. So I really appreciate if anybody was inspired by the story, um, you know, follow the journey, please interact with me because it means so much to me. All right. Well, I will leave links in the show notes to all of those things and more so people can more easily get a hold of you. Robert, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And, uh, Good luck to you, man. It's going to be a fantastic journey, I'm sure. I think it is, Robin. Thanks so much for having me. This was an absolute joy. Man, that was just such a fun episode to record with Robert. And I hope you guys got as much out of it as I did. I just thought there were so many great possible takeaways from this conversation, whether it was this idea of false hope versus false unhope, choosing your mindset, visual visualization and vision, the power of perspective, perseverance, forgiveness. There was just so many good things. But the thing that I kept thinking about after this is, you know, Robert made this point that all of us have struggles. His just happens to be a visual one. We can see that he's in a wheelchair. So obviously he's got his own difficulties, but we all have difficulties. We all have our own set of challenges that might be equally as daunting as Robert's were to him. Maybe not, but maybe they are. But at the end of the day, we can all do the exact same thing that Robert did. He chose. He made the choice to keep going. He made the choice to choose hope. He made the choice to choose a positive mental attitude. He chose to focus on his vision for the future. He chose to keep perspective. He chose to never give up. He chose to forgive. The point is, greatness is inside all of us if we're willing to choose greatness every single day. So what about you? What's your takeaway from the show? 
All right. Thank you for joining us today. If you haven't done so already, please remember to like, subscribe, and tell a friend about the show. As always, a list of the resources and links we discussed, as well as a recap of the show and more about our guest can be found in the show notes. Please feel free to shoot me an email at rob at contenderswanted.com if you'd like to suggest a guest for the show or just to contact me. I'd love to hear from any of the listeners and hear any of the feedback you might have or maybe even how the show is helping you. So once again, my email is rob at contenderswanted.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, success leaves clues and contenders are always wanted. Wanted.